Nation. Providing you with the practical tools and expert knowledge to optimize your strength, health and mindset inside and out. With your host, Steve Katarzy. I've told you that I love my job, right? Yeah? I mean, how can I not? Every single week, I get to speak with brilliant minds, fascinating people with their own wealth of knowledge and wisdom, entertainment, uh, and just, you know, good people to speak with, debaters. And you know, I love a debate. Now, this episode is no exception. I've got a bit of a fanboy crush going on here. You'll probably sense it in the mics. I got to speak with Sal Stefano from the hugely popular health, fitness and lifestyle podcast called Mind Pump. Now, hopefully you know who Mind Pump are. I mean, they've done a thousand plus episodes. Like if you're following health and fitness podcasts, you're likely following their stuff. Now, Sal combines his 22 plus years of experience with Adam and Justin to make what I think is the most entertaining, the most original, raw and real podcast on all things to do with getting in shape, sharpening your mindset, being well and generally navigating modern life. Mind Pump absolutely inspired the creation of Adaptation. So again, a true privilege to be speaking with what I believe to be one of the podcast hosts, greats of our time. We cover so much stuff with Sal. And really the theme of the discussion I wanted to kind of tease out is about finding a place of intuitive wellness and well-being because Sal has had to navigate his world from being a muscle obsessed kid through to being a PT, being, you know, one of the world's best at that, and then being jacked but ill by the time he was 30, and having to work out and unpack that for himself, through to now being someone who's got a great physique, he's wise, and has great health. So he explores and shares his journey with us. He drops so many pearls of wisdom as we explore intuitive wellness. I think you'll love his appreciation for traditional wisdom, how he applies intuition to food and his choices, and his great analogies. Now, there's a full disclaimer I have to offer for this podcast. I was stupidly ill at the time of recording. It was ridiculous. I was very close to cancelling, but I couldn't give up this opportunity to speak with Sal, so we ploughed through. The energy from me was a little low. Apologies up front, but I think it still was a great discussion. You know, we use this episode to actually unpack what might be going on, given my recent diet interventions. And it was pretty fascinating, really, to discuss how I was feeling, what might be going on, and explore with Sal um, his opinions. I think it just goes to show that just a little bit of open-mindedness, being comfortable with being vulnerable, and seeking opinions from others, you can explore things in a way you just couldn't do by yourself. Now... I am back to full strength. You'll be pleased to hear I was actually fine after a couple of days. Bar this weird, persistent hand peeling thing that I'm still looking into, I changed nothing at all. It was really odd. Maybe it was a flu virus. Hey, who knows? The body is a mysterious thing. Now, without further ado, let's listen to the dulcet tones and the wise words of the great, entertaining Sal De Stefano. Enjoy. <laughs> Adaptation. Hey, Sal. Welcome onto the Adaptation Podcast, my man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. 
Hey, listen, it's um, it's a true honor and a gift. I would say personally, you are already established as a bit of a podcast legend these days, man. And I love Mind Pump. It's just such a great show. You guys are killing it. Yeah, thanks. We we really enjoy what we do. It's it's a it's an interesting space, and it, it, I think it worked out real well for us. But um, but yeah, it's it's quite humbling to see the, just where things have have turned up for us. It's we didn't really anticipate it to get this big, but it's cool that it is, you know. Yeah, and I think you're inspiring a bunch of new podcasts popping up. I know you you definitely did that to me. Adam Nation was created off of listening to a ton of Mind Pump episodes and just going, you know what? This is, this is something that gets me going, gets me passionate. So yeah, but I just wanted to thank you, Justin and Adam from the bottom of my heart for just everything you do. You guys do fantastic work. And I just love the the balance of humor and education. It is spot on. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I mean, we're our goal with the show was to kind of shift the, the, the fitness industry more towards the positive. There's just so much bad information out there and so much uh, of the information is geared towards making people actually feel worse and there are no real long-term solutions and people aren't being honest. Um, and so the goal is to shift the industry just a little bit so that it starts to move more towards the positive. And the people that were really battling um, are really good at capturing people's attention. If you look at the the information that you'll find online uh, in, in regards to you know fat loss or muscle building or improving your health, you'll find that the if if you if you know how to look, you'll find that the hard the, the good information, the right information, is much harder to find, and it's probably because the the smart people aren't as entertaining. Um, they're not able to capture information or capture people's attention as well as the the charlatans, if you will. And so, our, you know, knowing that we we have to kind of combine an element of entertainment with information so we could kind of fight fire with fire. And that's been our formula. And it seems uh, to be working. And it's the perfect space because the the barriers to enter into podcasting are so low, um, and which was perfect for us because we had no experience. We had no idea what we were doing. There's no way any network would have put us on. Um, there's no way any, you know, large channel would have put our show on. And so we had to kind of create it ourselves. And so we're in this new media space, you know, talking about things that, you know, five years ago or 10 years ago, uh, you would have never been able to say, cause there's no sponsors or anybody that would have, you know, mm -hmm. that would have backed you. Um, and so it just good timing worked out real well. And I think you're right. I mean, I know there are loads of people trying to, you know, sell, you know, weight loss supplements or kind of weight loss regimes. And a lot of those are trash. I mean, I can see through them now, but I, I suspect they get a lot of people suckered still. But it's not just that, Sal, right? You've got the you've got the the vegan movement, which is strong. You've got a lot of the kind of fringe diets, which are really strong. You've got a lot of people that are driven by ego and profit, uh, whether it be quacks or people you know talking about really really fringe probably tiny aspects of you know health and fitness or wellness should i say and it's difficult because the more you double click into this space it starts off being simple and it gets more and more complex and you realize there's we don't actually know a lot like definitively about you know some of the kind of detailed subjects of how our body works i mean i don't know if you feel the same way i mean i, I know you guys are incredibly switched on you've had so many interviews uh, but do you still feel there's a there's a kind of gap, there's an unknown unknown still as it relates to wellness, not so much like muscle building and kind of losing weight, but more like the wellness and health longevity side? 
Well, we, you know, the human metabolism is probably the second, or animal, I should say, metabolism is probably the second most complex thing uh, that we've observed um, in the universe, the first being, uh, you know, the human brain. Um, and, you know, we know some things. Um, we know that if you want to lose body fat, you have to consume less calories than you're taking in, or if you want to gain weight, it's, it's the reverse. We know that uh, you know there are you know there are essential macronutrients, proteins, and fats. We know about you know vitamins and minerals that are essential. Um, and uh, you know as a as a as a trainer who's worked with people for for twenty years, there are some truths that you know I've discovered. And, and some of the biggest ones are, you know, if, if we're talking about helping people improve their health long term, really what we're looking at is is modifying. Uh, fundamental behaviors more than anything. It's not just about information. It's not just about eat less calories and eat these macros. It's about, you know, okay, well, well why is this so hard for you? Um, and, and how can we get you to adopt behaviors where, you know, good health and longevity are natural? It's something that becomes a, a natural part of who you are. Part of the challenges uh, that we face today um, are just just because of the changes in, in modern life. I mean, we're living in these kind of hunter-gatherer bodies that evolved, uh, for the most part, in a completely different environment than the one we live in now. Um, and, uh, you know, one of them being from the day we're born, we've probably had food in our mouths every single day. For most of the people in, mm-hmm. in modern societies, we've never, we've never really felt hungry. We, we, we know what cravings are, but we've never felt real hunger. Um, and all of our food relationships uh, revolve around that. So, you know, we eat because we're bored or stressed or we eat because we're happy or we eat because of the context. The foods that we value are usually valued for their hedon- their hedonistic qualities. So when you look at the top selling foods or the foods that people choose to eat the most, the reason why we choose to eat foods the most, particular foods, is because they, they taste the best. They provide the most pleasure. We don't, we don't place a value on foods for the other things that foods provide us. And so we've got this really dysfunctional kind of pathological behaviors around food and around activity. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's natural for, for people to want to seek out leisure and relaxation, probably because for most of the time that humans have been on Earth, overactivity and overstressing your body with movement and you know with the elements uh, was dangerous. People probably hurt themselves and died far more from doing too much than from doing too little. Today, the reverse is true. Today, people don't die from doing too much. They do. They die from doing too little. So we have to kind of relearn uh, how to have uh, you know proper and appropriate behaviors and learn how to value them. A little bit differently, you know, rather than valuing activity for the for its leisure and how good it feels, we have to we're starting to learn to value activity for its challenge uh, and for the uh, you know the, the physical adaptations that it it provides us with. And I, we're starting to see some some hints of this. It's, you're starting to see the pendulum swing a little bit. Um, the popularity of like obstacle course racing, for example, you know, like these Spartan races or these tough mutters that are just hilarious. They're insane, right? Mm. The, people climbing over walls and, you know, swimming across freezing water and running through, you know, electrical wires. You'd think, why the hell would anybody sign up for that? Um, and, and I think the reason is, is that we're starting to realize we need 
challenge. Uh, we need challenge in our lives, uh, physical challenge being one of them. And um, so people are kind of seeking it out. Like if you look at the people that sign up for those kinds of races, these are, you know, office, you know, jockeys, people who, who sit in front of a computer all day long that, that do one of these events and realize it makes them feel really alive. But in, anyway, you know, modern life is just providing, is just presenting us with some interesting problems. Um, and, you know, you can see the side effects of it, you know, like we've solved hunger. We've solved infectious diseases for the most part. People, you know, don't die from, you know, cutting their arm uh, at the park anymore. Uh, like they might have a thousand years ago when they would get, you know, uh, an infection or whatever. Uh, we don't die from the elements like we used to. You know, it's very, it's, it's quite rare in modern societies for people to die from, to die from being too cold or too hot uh, or not having enough water or not having enough salt. That was a big one. I mean, wars were fought over salt. Mm. So we've solved a lot of these, these like major problems that have plagued us for thousands of years. But now we have these new problems and the new problems are a little bit more difficult. They're a little bit more insidious. Um, we, you know, we're, we're dying from having too much, having too much food, having too much leisure. Uh, we're dying because our bodies are, are weak and fragile because they, we, we, we pamper ourselves uh, too much. We die from a different kind of stress. You know, like uh, for most of the human history, I think the types of stress that killed humans was these really intense, acute forms of stress, like you know, like you lost, you know, you have 12 kids, but you lost seven of them, you know, because of, uh, you know, fever or something like that, or, or because of dysentery, um, or, you know, we don't have food, we haven't eaten for, you know, for three weeks, or, you know, we're in constant state of war, or whatever, mm. you know, we, we don't get those kinds of stress, like we used to those acute, uh, you know, in, intense forms of stress that tend to be relieved, you know, like if you were starving for for two weeks and then you got food. Well, that's over. We got food now. Um, the kind of stress we have now is this kind of moderate, uh, constant stress, this, you know, distracted distraction forms of stress where like, I got a million things going on and I got this schedule and I got to pick up the kids and I got to do this and I got to do that. And, um, it's, it's this interesting form of stress that just doesn't go away and it wears our bodies down. So we're, 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 it's an interesting time right now. The cool thing is I think fitness and health uh, done properly is the solution to all of this. I mean, if you look at, if you look at fitness, for example, good fitness really revolves around, um, daily behaviors and practices. You know, people who make fitness a part of their lives forever, it is a part of their lives. You know, every day they do something that's active. Um, there's a structure there. It's a, it's a part of their schedule that, uh, doesn't get removed. Um, when you look at nutrition for people who are healthy, all the time. You look at how they eat. There's a practice around it. Uh, it's a part of their personal culture. Um, so these are the things that we have to learn. And, and fitness and health, I think, has the answers. We just have to be able to present it the right way, sell it the right way, not lie to people, um, tell them the truth. Um, you know, changing behaviors takes a long time. It's difficult. You're not going to lose 30 pounds in 30 days if you do it the right way. Um, if you know, do it the long way, the way that's going to last forever. Um, and you know, we hope to be, to be doing that and hope to be spurring people on like yourself to, to go that route as well in terms of presenting the right information. Damn right. Damn right. I mean, a couple of things just to key off what you just said there, Sal, um, I'm guessing you've read Sapiens, uh, by Actually, Yuval Harari. Not. 
No, I haven't. I've had several people though oh, recommend. I have read to it. read that book. You're like the fifth person now, so <laughs> you need to read that. And then he's he's got three books. Uh, Yuval Harari. Um, he's an Israeli uh, historian, uh, and he's fantastic. Sapiens is just brilliant. And then he's got a second book called Homo Deus, which goes through exactly what you've just said, right? You know, the uh, we've basically eradicated famine, we've eradicated war for the best part, and we've eradicated you know, disease and like kind of epidemic for the most part, epidemic kind of uh, viral infections. Mm -hmm. uh, but now what we're left with is a new set of challenges. Um, so I think what you're referencing is really this kind of concept that there's an evolutionary mismatch big, big time for a lot of us, where our um, ancient bodies are trying to deal with very modern lifestyles of overconsumption and lots of distraction and lack of movement. And I agree, I think fitness and health discussion can get there, can get a long way there. And I think it's also a keystone habit, right? You know, if you if you develop a, a structure around going to the gym, I know for me at least, Sal, that transformed everything for me. Um, and I know it sounds ridiculous because a lot of people say that and it just sounds a bit, you know, goofy that, you know, going to the gym has changed your life. But I guess it changed your life and it's changed Adam's life and Justin's definitely changed mine. Um, it's one of those keystone habits that just keeps giving and cascading. So maybe we can talk about that. So I mean, I want to get into some some detail -y type stuff. But maybe you can kind of talk me through at a kind of high level, super high level, your journey, because I know you've been into in fitness for like almost 20 odd years. Uh, I know that you kind of obsessed about kind of bodybuilding as a youngster. Can you just paint that picture roughly? And then we will get into a couple of topics that I I'd love to get your thoughts on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I started working out at a very young age. My dad had a, a weight set in the backyard, and I started picking up the weights um, pretty early. I, I would probably started messing around with the weights at around twelve. I've, I'd always admired strong bodies, um, you know, muscle, um, and I was a quite skinny kid growing up, and so I had a little bit of an insecurity uh, about my body, and so I, I looked at weights like this could provide the answer to. Uh, some of my insecurities, and uh, I'd also like to be one of these, you know, strong men that I admire. Uh, my father was one of those uh, types of men. Um, by the time I was 14, I had a consistent uh, weight training routine. And you know, you're 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 talking about how lifting weights changes uh, people's lives, or 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 fitness in particular, but in specific, you know, resistance training. I think the reason why so many people find it it's to be so life changing is because of the lessons that you learn through lifting weights. So it's not that I built muscle and it's not that I got stronger and got fit that changed my life. I mean, that was definitely a part of it. I think it's the it's the the lessons that are provided uh, through the process. It's really about the process. It wasn't, it's not the, the end result. It's not that I got a muscular body or anything like that. It's the process that got there. And you think about the lessons that you learn from it. You know, here, here I am 14 years old and I'm out in the in the backyard and, you know, in the sun, and I'm working my ass off trying to accomplish something, and it's hard. It's grinding. It's painful. I'm getting sore. Uh, I could be doing a million other things. I could be outside with my friends, throwing the football around or riding a bike or, you know, talking to girls or whatever. But instead, I'm in the backyard spending an hour and a half or two hours doing this kind of difficult task. And I come back to it, you know, the following week. And I find that, you know, last week I was able to do 10 push-ups, and this week I was able to do 12 push-ups. And I, you start to realize that you 
are fundamentally different than you were last week. You know, my body is not the same. I am not the same. And the hard work, the pain, and the, the discipline is producing this kind of this positive result. Now, that lesson right there, I mean, can you apply it to the rest of your life? Absolutely. That is life, right? That's the going through the, the hard stuff uh, to, to get kind of what you want, but then also embracing, embracing the process, which is what you learn if you, do, if you do it long enough. So then when you go through challenges in life that are hard, it's, it's not that different than, you know, this practice that you've had where you're going and, 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 you know, in essence, hurting yourself, not in a bad way, but you're feeling pain from the workout and getting that, that, that positive result. So it just trains you to kind of be this resilient person who uh, values the difficult process, which is anything you want out of life that's worth anything, that any, has any meaning, is difficult. Uh, otherwise, it's, that has no meaning. I mean, if you drop me off on the top of Mount Everest, there's, it's, there's not going to be any meaning to it in comparison to if I climbed Mount Everest. It's far different. So, uh, yeah, so that's how I started. I started off at 14, lifting weights, fell in love with it. Just And I'm, the, I'm, a, I'm a, a bit of an obsessive uh, personality. If I like something, I really dive into it quite deep. And so I got every single publication. You know, I was, at, at 14 years old, I was already working. I, I would work with my dads in the summer and then I would wash dishes at uh, a local uh, pizzeria. Um, and so I had a little bit of cash. And so I would buy, you know, bodybuilding magazines, muscle building magazines, nutrition books, chemistry books, anatomy books, just to learn as much as I possibly could about the human body, about how I could train and eat and, and take supplements in ways to, 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 you know, build more muscle, get stronger, become more fit. And it was an obsession for, well, still is, right? Uh, now I'm 40 years old. It's still an obsession. Um, at 18 years old, I walked into uh, a local uh, big box gym and uh, applied to be a personal trainer. Um, uh, I would have applied earlier, to be quite honest, but they did not hire people under the age of 18. And so I, I literally went in there at the age of 15 trying to get a job. And they said, no, you got to be 18. So I waited. And I think it was like a couple months after I turned 18, I, walk, I, I go in there, I asked for uh, you know, an application, um, asked for the manager. And, um, you know, I knew what I wanted. I knew this is what I wanted to do. Uh, introduced myself, told him I'd be a great trainer, hires me on the spot. And I had very early success um, as a personal trainer. Within a four-month period, I was managing uh, all the trainers in the gym. I was, uh, the position I had was fitness manager. Um, and then uh, shortly after that, I became a general manager at the age of, of 19. I was managing big box gyms with, you know, 40 to 50 employees and I was grand opening clubs and I did that for a little while. And then at the age of 21, I became an entrepreneur. I, I, I took the money I had saved working in these gyms, running these, these successful facilities. And I had bought a large share of a very large country club type of gym. These are gyms that have like a, like a sports bar and rock climbing and you know, racquetball, they're, you know, quite large. Um, and I did that for a little while, left that, um, went back to big box gyms for a little while and then started my own wellness facility. And I did that for a long time. I had a, a wellness facility that had personal trainers and massage therapy, nutrition, acupuncture. And my goal with that was really to provide a, a, a space where people could go in and through alternative means. And what I mean at alternative is for, you know, alternative to the 
traditional Western medicine, uh, you know, practice of, you know, going and getting medicine and, you know, maybe surgery, they could come to my facility and we would do correctional exercise, uh, nutrition, you know, help you, you know, lose body fat, get more healthy. I had acupuncture in there. I had someone who did hormone testing and gut testing and massage therapy. And through our services, just, you know, get people healthier. And um, that process actually taught me uh, quite a bit. Um, I walked into that knowing a lot about fitness and exercise and nutrition from a, I guess, a fat loss and performance standpoint. But surrounding myself with these other practitioners, I really became much more of a wellness uh, expert. Uh, I learned uh, about gut health. I learned about, uh, which, you know, gut health is, uh, is extremely important for overall health, not just for fat loss and muscle building. Um, I learned about um, longevity, uh, how to apply exercise more appropriately. You know, I, I moved away from the beat someone up in the gym and give them the super hard workout all the time attitude to training people appropriately and looking at their overall stress. And, the, you know, that would help dictate the type of workout that we would, uh, you know, take them through. Um, and it, it formed me and forged me into the kind of the person I am now on the podcast and, uh, you know, with our, with our company Mind Pump. Great, uh, great view on on that thing. Um, I'd love to just dig into your intuitive wellness. Kind of, that's what I get from you now, Sal. I, I get a sense of a couple of things from you. First of all, you're definitely the nerdiest of all the mind pump posts by Country Mile <laughs> with the science, the evolution, of politics, and I love that. I'm a geek myself, so uh, hence the reason I wanted to get you on the show. But I also think that you are you lean in on wellness, and I wonder if it ever has people listening, wondering where, where your priorities are, right? So, you know, your journey for much from, from what I can tell and what I've heard is that there was an obsessional need to, you know, develop the best physique you possibly could. And at some point, through some maybe health issues or what have you, you started to transition away. The question is, and I guess the question for a lot of your audience is, can you look great, have the best body you possibly can, whilst paying homage to optimal wellness, longevity, and looking after yourself. Are those mutually exclusive? Because I know you've transitioned away from not caring so much about how you look. I'm not saying you, you don't look good, you do. But I've heard you saying it's not important to you now. Does that have to happen for you to focus on wellness? Or can you have both? And maybe just one well, last point on that. You mm -hmm. see a lot of people that, you know, obsess about the gym. And that stoic nature, that disciplined nature creates a lot of goodness in their lives. But they then become, you know, physique competitors, focused almost obsessively, uh, and from an, I think a vanity perspective on their physique above all else. And I can see that being quite damaging mentally. Uh, maybe not for some, but for most, I think it is. So there's a good there's a good part of training and the discipline and you know the process and achievement, cause and effect. But at some point, it can be unhealthy. Talk talk me through like that that kind of process of trying to work that out for yourself, like not beating yourself up all the time. When, when was enough enough in terms of your kind of obsessive desire to continue to grow and get bigger arms and just generally look different versus accepting who you are and focusing in on your kind of health and wellness? Yeah, actually, the, the worst um, body image issues, eating disorders, and overall health, because remember, health uh, is a is a sphere. It contains much more than just 
body fat percentage and muscle and how strong you are. It includes your mental health, the social health, um, spiritual health, which, you know, by the way, science has now proven that all of those things are equally important. You know, if you look mm-hmm. at the, you look at the world's blue zones where people live the longest, um, for example, the, the island of Sardinia off the coast of Italy, um, you know, they have the highest concentration of centarians, uh, male centarians in the world, um, and the females are not that far behind. Or if you go to Okinawa, generally speaking, the longest living people on earth. And there's a, there's a, I believe there's six or seven uh, blue zones in the world. If you look at them, when they, when they do studies on them, they find some stuff that you would expect. Uh, you know, they eat healthy and they're active. But the other stuff that you wouldn't expect, which is they've got uh, very close social uh, connections and relationships and they have spiritual practices, things that you wouldn't even, you know, maybe, you know, 15, 20 years ago, we wouldn't think had anything to do with living a long time. We're now finding that those are just as important as eating right and being active. Um, And when you look at the fitness space with all the shredded bodies uh, or the, you know, the bikini girls, um, you find uh, terrible, terrible health and a lot of those categories, like food, you know, body obsession, right? They're obsessed with their body. One one mistake that I think a lot of people make that I made, made myself for a long time was that I confused body image with self-image. Um, my self-image was my body image. It was, I identified strongly with how I look. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that at some point that is going to cause you big, big problems, okay? There's every human on earth gets older and every human on earth eventually dies. And the process to getting old and dying, even if you're healthy and you've got great longevity, you're still not going to look, you're 75 years old. You're not going to look like you did when you were 25 years old. Mm -hmm. And if you have uh, a lot, if you're, if you're obsessed with your body and and you identify with your body, like that is your importance. That's who you are. You're going to be in for some shit. I mean, all you need to do is look at some of these Hollywood uh, actors and stars who, you know, were known for being beautiful in the maybe the 70s and 80s. And you look at them now and they've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on plastic surgeries and, you know, procedures and their faces don't even move and they're depressed because they've identified so strongly with their, their body. And now their body's aging. They can't do anything about it. Um, you're going to end up in a bad place uh, one way or another. Um, the other way that you'll end up in a bad place is you, if you obsess about your body, you tend to do things that are terrible for your health. Um, you know, men who are body obsessed tend to do things like take anabolic steroids or supplements that are un- unhealthy for them. Um, women, uh, tend to, uh, you know, lots of plastic surgery and diet pills, um, and injections. Um, and those things can all be quite unhealthy for you. Not only that, but what you'll find is it's a bottomless pit. You know, if you're trying to fill your, your, yourself, uh, your, your, your sense of meaning and purpose with, uh, looking better, you'll, it'll, it'll become like a, like an addiction, uh, because you'll never, you're never going to feel fulfilled. Some of the worst body image you'll ever encounter are people who are the most shredded and obsessed, you know, people who stand on stage at 4% body fat and you think, boy, that person must be very confident in how they look. They must feel so good about themselves. And when you really get to know them, they're extremely insecure uh, about their bodies. So uh, it, it's not a great place uh, to be. Um, and at some point, if you only focus on how you look, 
your health is going to take a turn for the worse much sooner than it should, in which case, you know, poor health looks bad. You know, if you want to look good and you have bad health, uh, it's going to be hard to look good. Um, I, I so, agree, man. I mean, and, and, yeah, and is, is that part of your journey? Because I know you kind of, you went for a bit of a, uh, a few gut, gut issues or kind of health issues. Maybe we can kind of uh, explore that a little bit. Oh, yeah. I was remind. I mean, look, you know, if you don't listen to your body, um, it'll get louder and louder until you're going to be forced to listen. And in my case, this was right around the age of 30. Remember, at 30, I was already a good, uh, I don't know, you know, 15, 16 years into training my body and pushing my body to look a particular way and doing a lot of things that were not healthy. And at, at, right around the age of 30, my body rebelled on me. It just, um, uh, you know, it's my, my gut health just just completely deteriorated. I thought I had uh, autoimmune issues. I thought I might have colitis or Crohn's disease. And, you know, I went to the doctor and they saw that, you know, it was, you know they, they said, oh, it's irritable bowel syndrome. But it was really bad. I ended up losing about 15 pounds of, uh, of you know, muscle. Uh, I looked terrible, lost strength, couldn't figure out the hell's going on with me. And eventually I just, uh, I, I was at this point where I said to myself, that's it. I, I'm not going to, I don't care what, what it is I need to do to get healthy. I don't care if it means I need to stop lifting weights. I don't care if it means I need to, you know, eat low protein. I don't care. I just need to get healthy. And, um, luckily at the point, at this time I had my wellness facility and I was working with people that were, you know, on the other side of fitness who, who really, you know, were knowledgeable about like, gut health and hormone health and food intolerances and all that stuff. And I completely changed how I approached fitness. I completely changed how I approached nutrition. And it took me about a year to gain my health back. Um, and the irony, and now within that period of time, because I had to separate myself from my body image issues and I had to stop identifying with my body, which is not easy, by the way, you know, changing who you are. Because, you know, we, we tend to think of ourselves as our egos, right? So when you ask somebody, who are you? And they'll say, oh, I'm a, I'm a hardworking business person or I'm a bodybuilder or I'm a, I'm a runner. Um, you, you, you know, that's because you're identifying with this, this, this ego that you have, that we, that we all have. It's the, I guess, the bane of human consciousness. And, and so we, you know, trying to change my identity from being this strong, muscular, you know, fitness guy who's interested in lifting weights or whatever that's not easy. And so the, you know, one way that I did it was I just completely just detached from it. So I didn't look at myself in the mirror, uh, and look at my body and, and flex. I didn't, uh, look at working out the same way at all. I had to change that because, uh, I had to get my health back. And the, it, it took me about a year. And it's funny about a year after I went on this journey and my health started to get better. I, uh, I, I was at a friend's house and, you know, we, there was like a pool party and we're out swimming or whatever. And I went in the bathroom to use the restroom. And then when I was washing my hands, he had a, a couple mirrors that were situated so that one would reflect off the other one. And I caught a glimpse of my myself from an angle that I don't normally see myself. And so for a split second, I I viewed myself as if I were looking at somebody else. So without the, you know, without the body image issues, without the avoiding looking at myself, because I can't identify with that. Almost like I was looking at someone else. And for a split second, I was able to see myself as I looked. And I was like, wow, I look very fit. I look good. And so then I allowed myself to, to objectively look at myself, you know, like, okay, I'm going to, how do I look right now? And I realized like, holy shit, I look better than I've looked, I think ever. 
And it was all because uh, I had focused so much on just being healthy. And that's when I realized that, you know, if, if, you, if you focus on your health and your well-being, you're, you're going to get the, the aesthetics. You're going to get the, the look. Healthy looks good. It just does. There's a reason why we, we, we find certain things aesthetic. There's a reason why we find a smaller waist and wider shoulders aesthetic. Uh, there's a reason why there's a certain hip-to-waist ratio on women that's considered aesthetic. And that's because uh, in nature, it displays uh, fertility and health. And so if you just get healthy, you're going to get some of that stuff. And that's, and then I had that epiphany, like, wow, I, I, you know, I, <laughs> I guess all I got to do is just try to be healthy um, and really take care of myself like somebody I care about. Um, and that's kind of what, you know, I guess shaped the message now that I communicate on the show so much. Unfortunately, the fitness space doesn't communicate that very well. The fitness space tends to communicate the look good, be sexy, you know, get shredded, um, you know, that kind of message. And, and it encourages people to identify strongly with their bodies, which is not a very good long-term approach at all. It's a terrible long-term approach. Like I said earlier, at some point, um, life is going to uh, is going to teach you that lesson one way or another, whether through age or through illness that um, identifying with your body is uh, it's a, it's a losing battle. I think you're bang on, Sal. I think we, in, in a growing way, we are willing to fake health. You know, <laughs> you just have to look at the, you know, the filters or, you know, the face, the, the, the face editors or the, the body editor kind of software you've got across Facebook now, plastic surgery, makeup, yeah, lighting, all that kind of stuff. We're, we're willing to fake health because as you say, you know, health is sexy. That is really what attractiveness is but like just as an anecdote i know quite a few people that have gone on the journey of you know being physique competitors and you just see them the day before the show or the day of the show they don't look healthy <laughs> you can no. see it in their eyes their eyes are distant and empty and blank their skin is almost like transparent you know they're deep sockets the eye sockets you can see they're not happy mentally emotionally or physically and I just don't think it's worth it. And I think that's probably the epiphany that you've kind of gone through. But not saying that you've walked away from having a good physique as well. Right? That's still important to you too, right? Yeah, I mean, um, I still enjoy it. Uh, I still enjoy the way it looks. I enjoy um, looking at people who are fit. I enjoy the the performance uh, that it, it provides me, the mobility. But it's a side effect now. Mm. Um, it's actually quite different. It's it's not uh, it's not the goal, you know. I'm I'm now I appreciate the journey, um, not the destination. Um, but first off, there is no destination. If you if you constantly are chasing a look, you'll be chasing for the rest of your life. It's like that person who, who chases money. It's never enough. They'll always uh, be chasing money, um, versus the person who uh, enjoys the process of being successful, who will never not be successful because they like the process. They like the work. They like the effort. They like the, the, the discipline, the behaviors. You know, I enjoy eating a particular way, not because I enjoy the way it makes me look, but because now I've learned to value food for its other qualities aside from its, its hedonistic values. I enjoy lifting weights, uh, not just because it makes me look good, but because I enjoy the process of lifting weights. I enjoy the working out. I enjoy the, the struggle um, uh, of it. I enjoy the challenge um, and the process. I enjoy the activity. So because I enjoy the process uh, of all these different things, the side effect is 
I'm how I look. Um, and, and it, you know, I know it sounds a bit esoteric or a bit out there, but it, that's the goal. And, and I learned that as a trainer. Like if I could, if I could get my clients to that place and train towards that state of being, then I will create people, uh, you know, I'll, I'll create lifelong fitness and health enthusiasts. And, uh, and that's what happened. It's exactly what happened. I mean, the first half of my career was all focused on getting people to look a particular way and help them lose weight and all that stuff. And that's how I train them. And I would have, a, you know, like most train, like all trainers, I would say, you know, huge drop off rate. People would get fit with me and then they'd stop training with me and they'd stop working out. And it would, you know, in it, they'd get in and out of it. And it was almost impossible to turn people into this just, just fitness enthusiast. Well, the second half of my career was totally different. Um, and I was able to take clients who'd never worked out uh, or had no, uh, you know, uh, desire to prior to meeting me to, you know, having a lifestyle of health and fitness to turning them into people who are never going to stop. I mean, I haven't trained clients for at least a few years. All the clients that I that I, I still stay in contact with them because I train these people for years. They all continue to exercise. They all continue to eat in ways that are far healthier for them than they did before. And it's all because they've, they've, they've shifted the mindset to what I'm talking about. It really is the answer. There is no other answer. You know, all these, these things that we, that we, you know, these, these supplements and, you know, new techniques and ways to help, you know, help people get fit and stuff like that. Like there's a little bit of relevance in them, but it's all about, uh, it's all about changing the behaviors. That's the only way you're going to get long-term success. And it's a hard process. It's a long process. It's a transformative process. It's the only process that's worth it. Um, and it's the only process that lasts forever. I, I sense from you, Sal, that you've got um, a an evolutionary frame of reference. I don't know if you've had that your whole life, but I get a strong sense of it now. You know, You make a lot of references to... Uh, ancient tribes or, or uh, blue zones or people living simpler lives and kind of more enriched uh, socially, spiritually, and so forth. Um, I too have, over the last year, just, just started to look at everything through an evolutionary lens. Like, are our bodies supposed to do that? And there, I know there's tons of science that, you know, is, is really kind of exploding over the last 20 years, like calling things out, like maybe sugar, is a bit of an issue at the kind of volume that we're seeing in our lifestyles today. Maybe wheat is an issue at the kind of volume that we're seeing today. Uh, talking about modern processed food. And then, then answers are always really, really simple, yet we spend an inordinate amount of money to try and prove those points. As you kind of found your wellness, as you became healthy and you corrected some of your issues, what were some of your N equals one experiments, some of your interventions? What things have you done either during that process of healing or are you doing now that you believe are a fundamental part of you being healthy and well today? Yeah, so it's funny. Um, the, old, the, the, the longer I do this, the more I value uh, wisdom over knowledge. Um, Knowledge is, is good, right? Uh, in fact, modern technology has given us all access to all the knowledge uh, that's ever been recorded uh, throughout all of hu human history quite easily now, right? If you walk around with a smartphone, you have at your fingertips more knowledge than you'll ever know what to do with. You'll have more yeah. information. But that doesn't mean you have uh, wisdom. 
And I think what happens, uh, and this is just a challenge I think humans have always gone through, is we revel in our cleverness and we revel in our ability to gather knowledge. We're, and so we start to discredit wisdom. So, you know, we'll, we'll look at a problem like obesity and we'll say, hey, we're, we're smart. We have science. What's the new solution? We're gonna yeah, we're going to figure this out with a, with a, with a medicine. We're going to figure this out with a, you know, whatever. And uh, maybe we will. Maybe at some point we will discover a pill that you could swallow and boom, you're lean. But you're not going to gain the same benefits as you would had you learned the wisdom that goes along with creating the behaviors around eating a particular way and, and, and being active. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's no different than it's like the man who sits on the, on, the, on the mountaintop and meditates for 40 years and, you know, achieves enlightenment uh, versus somebody who, you know, I don't know, takes a strong dose of psychedelics and takes a glimpse at, at, at enlightenment. Uh, it's different. It's not the same. I, I think the, 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 the person who sat on the mountain had gained lots of wisdom uh, and the person who took the psychedelic may have peaked at the, the knowledge but has, you know, none of the wisdom. So as I, as I do this longer and longer, I, I value this. So uh, an example, giving a, a good example would be the, the, the concept of, or the, the art, I should say, or the practice of fasting. Um, I was initially introduced. To, now, in fitness, I'd heard about fasting for a long time, but we laughed at it um, when I first got into fitness. When I first got into fitness, you, you never went w without food. It was stupid. You'd lose muscle, right? You, know, you always had to have protein. And the only people that fasted were the the hippies, the, the, you know, the weirdos, the, the, the people on that woo-woo side or whatever. Um, it, but through the years, science started surfacing, saying that showing how fasting had benefits. And then I would read on forums on how, you know, athletes were using fasting and, and were finding that they felt better performance or whatever, or just felt healthier. And so it, it piqued my interest. And so I started dabbling in 24-hour fast. And I was blown away that I didn't lose any muscle. That was the first lesson. Like, whoa. I didn't eat for 24 hours and I haven't lost a single pound of muscle. And I've been led to believe that I need to have protein, you know, in my system every other hour. Um, okay. So this is kind of crazy. And I saw, and then I, you know, did a little research and said, well, of course I'm not losing any muscle. You know, there's no way humans had food with them all the time. I, I think we might've evolved to be okay without food for long periods of time. And, you know, that took me down more and more rabbit holes. Um, and then it took me to, um, the, the real benefits of fasting. There's definitely phys physiological benefits for fasting, you know, cell autophagy and, uh, you know, it, it stimulates stem cells that then become new cells. It allows the gut time to heal. Um, it, it, you know, it does some interesting thing to your hormones uh, that may be beneficial. So there's all these physiological benefits to, to fasting if you're healthy. And humans can go without food for long periods of time without any negative effects. I mean, you could, you could, if you're healthy, you could technically fast for three weeks with no negative effects aside from, you know, weight loss and, 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 you know, and stuff like that, but no, no negative, no other negative effect. But besides all the, the physiological benefits, I started to notice that fasting uh, is a practice that's, uh, in almost every major religion. Uh, actually every major religion that I've studied, uh, it's fat, it's practiced in, in Christianity, Judaism, it's practiced in, in Islam, um, Hinduism has got practices of fasting, um, Buddhism. And I, I, th I thought to myself, like, okay, why, why is fasting present in all these, these practices, all these religions, some of which had almost no contact with each other? 
Um, and I realized it's just, it's just a way of, uh, there's a spiritual element in the sense that it's a way of denying yourself something that you want so that you can uh, kind of elevate your, your way of thinking. And I thought, okay, what are, the, what are the applications of that in modern times? And I, I thought, wow, you know, when I fast just for 24 hours, I do experience that. Like, there's definitely times when I'm like, oh, it's lunchtime. I, night, I need to eat, but I don't have food. Okay. Or I'm not going to eat food. So how am I going to deal with that? Or um, I'm anxious. I want to eat some food. I want to grab some chips, but I don't have, I can't because I'm fasting. How do I deal with that? How do I deal with some of these feelings that I would normally numb with food? That you know, a lot of people do, right? A lot of people eat because they're stressed or bored or, or anxious or because of context. And so I started realizing I had to like deal with these thoughts and feelings without the food. And it just caused a lot of personal growth. And so I started experimenting with this extended fast, uh, the longest of which were about 72 hours. And I still practice them occasionally for those kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, spiritual benefits. Um, and then I started experimenting with fasting from other things like electronics, uh, which now we're just, cover, you know, just constantly on electronics. Try fasting for 48 hours, like no, no social media, no television. Very difficult. No nothing. But, but watch the growth. Yeah, that comes from it. You know, watch what happens. Uh, or fasting from leisure. You know, people people uh, uh, you know are are more apt to to do this uh, because of the fitness benefits. But there's spiritual benefits. Take your ass out on a 48 hour, you know, grueling, you know, hike where you're camping and hiking and you're roughing it, and come back and tell me that you didn't experience some, you know, some growth. It, it would have been difficult. You probably wouldn't have maybe not even liked the the process of it. But when you come back, you're usually grateful. Um, and so there's a lot of um, wisdom, I think, is, is far more valuable than knowledge. And so now I'm starting to look back at some of these old practices and teachings and not necessarily emulating them, but saying, okay, why do they exist? Why have they been around for so long? And what can I learn from these? Um, and so that's kind of where I'm at now with my, you know, my process. And the the fasting thing, and this is kind of a, a theme of my life at the minute, Sal. I don't, I don't know if you're on the same page. I had a podcast with my co-host yesterday and we spoke about some habits that we're developing or working on or have, have completely nailed. And the theme that came out of all the things that I'm working on, plus his, was this sense of simplification. It was, I'm not saying I'm, I'm, a, I'm a minimalist because I'm not, I still have a lot, of, a lot of junk in my house and I still have a lot of things going on in my life. But there was this, everything that I was focused on was about taking stuff away even controlling my insatiable need for whether it be coffee or chocolate through to get more sleep, taking taking noise out of the system so I can rest more. And then we just went through the list and it was all this theme of minimalizing and simplifying life. And I'm kind of getting to the point where the more I take away from my life, the happier I am. The more distraction, the more expectation I take away, um, the less I obsess about, you know, fitting into this world perfectly right now in terms of the capitalist expectations. Hey, I'm not anti-capitalism, but there's 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 much of that that's driven my life that has been perhaps uh, misleading me down the mm -hmm. path of assuming happiness when I get there. And actually, you know, I've I've got that massive check. I've got I've done had a massive you know financial year for me, and I'm like, yeah. And I, I found myself ringing the bell less and less and less. And I'm starting to pull that back and realizing, hey, those most precious moments when there's almost nothing happening. And I think fasting is an expression of that. 
I don't know if you you got anything to kind of key off on on that concept. Is that no, no? You're you're a hundred percent correct. I mean, um, luckily, uh, it's it's so funny, right? The you know we were just talking about, or I was just talking about these 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 ancient teachings and spiritual practices. And I don't care if you're religious or not. You don't need to be religious. Uh, in fact, uh, I, I have many friends that are atheists that that will study these ancient uh, religions because there's a lot of wisdom in them. Um, and you know, one of the most incredible um, things that ever developed uh, for mankind was this uh, concept that you know man has a soul and that man is created in God God's image. You know, and that we all are special. And what that did that led to the uh, the, the uh, people respecting uh, other people's liberty, which led to freedom, which led to capitalism, right? So here we are living uh, now in a, a freer society than we've been in uh, for most of human history with, uh, you know, things in place to protect our freedoms. And it creates these free markets, which then create this incredible prosperity. But there's, a, there's another side to that. And the other side to that is, now we're in a position where we get everything that we want, right? Like, so you want food, you get food. You want Mexican food, you got Mexican food. Chinese food, Chinese food. You want something that tastes like strawberries, you got that. You want leisure, you can create a life that revolves around leisure. We have entertainment distractions, sex. Uh, we medicate ourselves with, uh, you know, caffeine and alcohol and substance. So we have all the stuff, um, but it's not providing us with... Uh, with us, with meaning, um, it's just giving us what we think uh, that we want. Um, and when you're when you start taking those things away, when you start, when you get to the point where you stop identifying with them, which is I think what you're talking about, right? Where you you you're, you're simplifying your life. I believe uh, that's where the, the the true sense of meaning and purpose is. It's the it's the detachment. It's funny. Uh, um, I I was. Uh, are you familiar with the with beatitudes? The beatitudes. No. Okay, so I'm I'm new to this. I'm not a, a, a particularly religious person, but I've heard of these before. Uh, these are uh, these are found in the in in, in the Christian religion, um, and there's similar ones in other spiritual practices. There's similar sayings, um, but I'll read one of them to you. It's uh, you know, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right. So I've heard that before. I've seen people seen it on people's walls, and I always thought like that's kind of weird. Like. Does that mean that poor people are are blessed and rich people are not blessed? And you know, I couldn't kind of figure it out. Well, I I was watching this this video with uh, um, this very intelligent speaker who kind of broke them down and applied them. and And he said, it doesn't mean that the poor are are uh, are better than the rich, uh, or they're going to heaven and the rich aren't. He goes, what he what it means is, blessed are the people who do not identify with money. So you can have lots of money, but not identify with it. It does. It's not your worth. It's not your. It's not your God. It's not your ultimate, you know, uh, pinnacle desire. Yeah, uh, you can be. Uh, you can be poor and worship money, and 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 find that you're, you know, you're, you're not happy. It's all about the 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 non-identification with these things. So I think what you experienced by simplifying is you start to realize that you not you don't need all this shit. And you just don't identify it. You can still have it, but the fact that you don't identify it, you find the sense of kind of this meaning uh, and this purpose. Um, same thing with uh, you know power. Same thing with 
you know, if you look at people who, uh, you know, people can be powerful, um, have lots of influence, but not identify with it and have lots of meaning. Then you have people that identify with power. That's their God. That's what they worship. That's the thing that they drive towards. And you'll find people who are uh, constantly seeking uh, for that meaning. And so I think that's uh, that might be kind of what you're experiencing. I think fasting is a practice that uh, it's a simple practice that helps you because it helps you not identify with food, if that makes sense. You know, uh, uh, fasting from electronics helps you not identify with those things. Um, you know, getting rid of stuff helps you not identify with stuff. Stuff you'll find that you you know life has a a, a greater sense of meaning. Meaning, it's you're less anxious about things. I guess you have you have to read the sapiens and and homo deus it is right up your alley he talks about <laughs> okay. he, t- he talks about something about how none of us actually have free liberty it's an illusion um the reality is we all live within these ideas that we can decide what we want but actually you know there are you know all powerful whether it be industries or nation states or you know just generally the the power system and the capitalist system doesn't really grant complete free liberty you are still choosing within the context of capitalism and i think you'd love that i think you'd love kind of where that goes but um i, I won't digress that because i think this can get overly philosophical very quickly sure um but in this concept of uh simplification and elimination i mean let me set some context here i'm um i guess you've you've followed some elimination diets in your attempt to kind of heal your gut and then work out and be intuitive around what your your body tolerates and what it doesn't and i've heard that you know you have to be you individually are quite careful around the foods you eat and foods you don't and maybe when i first heard that sal i was like yeah i can eat anything it's poor, poor sal <laughs> uh, <laughs> but what's actually happened to me is i'm finding myself in a very similar position that as i've started to take foods away i've noticed the impact those foods had which wasn't positive you know i've i've done an elimination diet but via like a fairly extreme carnivore diet i'm kind of almost on that right now still doing that i've kind of not done pure play keto but i'm fat adapted right now doing low carb i'm pulling stuff away from my diet and once uh, you know maybe a year and a half ago my focus was what else can i add to my diet for optimal wellness what supplement Mm -hmm. what product what whole food can i add to optimal wellness and i'm now getting to the point of what is the fewest amount of foods do i need for nutrient density, bioavailability, limiting the toxins, loving my food, enjoying the flavor, but not needing the obscene amount of choice. And the carnivore diet for me has helped me express and find that. But what it has done, and that's what I wanted to explore with you, in doing this carnivore diet, I'm probably about six weeks in right now, and it's not pure play carnivore, it's meat dominant though. I've only today, I was, I was close to canceling today, Sal, because I have, I've been feeling incredibly ill. And there's this concept of oxalate dumping. I don't know if you're familiar with oxalates, but it feels like, given all the things I'm going on with me, like I'm I'm dropping a bunch of kind of stored toxins in my body. It feels like that, at least. Anyway, there's a whole set of symptoms that are coming out when I ne- I was asymptomatic prior to starting this. So I just kind of wanted to explore that a little bit, not whether it be keto, low carb, carnivore, oxalate dumping per se, but I guess you've been through a journey of elimination both as interventions and now probably a lifestyle in how you eat food and your relationship with food. I'd love to understand where you are from a nutrition standpoint perspective. What's dropped 
um, whether you think it's a sensitivity or it's a toxicity or you've just decided I don't need it? Well, the way I look at food is uh, I, I look at it in terms of it's 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 total value. So and what I mean by, by total value is I can look at food and I can see that it has a nutritional value. So this food has, uh, you know, macronutrients. It has micronutrients. Um, it's got, you know, maybe, uh, you know, uh, uh, antioxidants uh, that are present, um, you know, uh, special compounds uh, that may provide me with health benefits. Essentially, all of the uh, the nutritious uh, benefits of that food and the and the, how that food affects me physiologically. There's also an emotional value, oftentimes that's tied to food. Uh, you know, if my mom makes a, a homemade dish that she made for me when she was a kid, and she makes that for me now, I'm going to place a high emotional value on that food because it's going to remind me of when I was a kid. It's my mom making it, so there's there's that kind of value. There's also a hedonistic value. Uh, that comes from food, which is 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 a value. Um, I think people over place too much value on this particular value, um, but uh, it is uh, it's there nonetheless, and it's something that uh, can be good for you. And that's the pleasure of eating the food, you know, of consuming the food. How good does this make me just feel because of the taste or the mouth feel or just the just over just the enjoyment of eating this type of food? So I look at foods for those, uh, at all of those different things. And I weigh them out. So uh, let's say I'm, I'm at a birthday party and they're serving cake. Um, and I look at the cake. Now, this isn't, I'm not sitting there doing this manually. This is all natural now. But at one point, I had to sit there and think about these things. So, you know, they'll serve me a piece of cake. And I'll, I'll think to myself, like, okay, high in the hedonistic value. Very, very high hedonistic value. Obviously, eating the slice of cake is going to feel really good. And there's some value to that. Emotional value, uh, it's kind of high too. This is a birthday party. It's a, you know, friend of mine's kid. So, you know, it's, you know, we're kind of celebrating together. Nutritional value for me, and this is different from person. All these are different from person to person. Uh, you know, so don't forget that. Um, for me, nutritional value, not much. And uh, it's probably going to affect my health negatively because I'm so sensitive to things like dairy and gluten. This cake having both dairy and gluten, so it's probably going to give me digestive issues. I'm going to get inflamed. I might not sleep well, um, and I'm probably going to feel uh, pretty irritable uh, the next day. That's just me personally because I tend to be sensitive to those things. And so based on all those things, I make my decision. Am I going to eat this or not? Now, most of the time, it's no. Most of the time, it's just not worth it if it's something that I'm really, really sensitive to um, and just something that I, I know is just not worth it. Like, Sure, I'm going to enjoy the taste of it. Is that worth feeling shitty for the next day or two? Definitely not. Um, and that's, that's what I do when I look at foods. Now, now, what does that mean? That means that because I value foods for all of the values that they provide me, that um, more often than not, I enjoy eating the foods that make me feel good, even if they don't have the same hedonistic value. Yeah, I have so that. So in that, in that moment, uh, you know, eating a plate of uh, you know, uh, spinach and broccoli um, and some fish, uh, although it doesn't have the same hedonistic value, the nutrition nutritional value is so much higher, um, if for me at least, that um, I'm going to want to eat the fish and vegetables over the slice of cake. And this is where people get kind of mixed up. They think, 
oh, I'm trying to eat healthy, but I really want to eat a cookie. Like I want that cookie. And if, when, you, when you break it down for them, they start to realize that they don't. They actually don't want to eat it. They're acknowledging the hedonistic value of that cookie. Like I know that piece of cake is going to taste really good and I'm going to enjoy it. But I also understand the full value of that piece of cake. And to be honest, I don't want it. So I don't have this battle. I don't have this battle within me that's like, ooh, I want to eat it, but I can't because I got to get lean. Ooh, I can't eat this. I can't eat that. It's literally, I don't want to eat that. And that is a, that's a great place to be. And that's where the intuitive aspect of, of nutrition comes from. Um, but, you know, here's the deal with it. it, it it's, a, it's a long process. You kind of, you have to work through this process to get yourself there. You know, there's different stages of learning. And before this can become an unconscious competence that you have, you have to go through the process of being consciously incompetent. You have to first realize that you don't know uh, any of this stuff. And then you have to consciously be competent. That may require you to do things like track your macros and, you know, pay attention to the nutritional value, you know, do the elimination diet so you can start to realize how foods actually affect you. Because I think a lot of people don't really realize these things until they take them out and then reintroduce them a couple months later. And then they realize like, holy shit, that bagel that I eat every morning for breakfast makes me feel terrible. I never realized it was making me feel this way, you know? So once you get to that point, then it becomes more, much more intuitive where I either want something or I don't. You know, it's as easy as that. If, if I eat a burger, it's because I want the burger. And I know now intuitively the costs and the benefits. Um, when you see me eating what, see, what looks like a very healthy dish of maybe what someone might consider boring because it doesn't have the same hedonistic value, realize I want to eat that. I'm enjoying that food because I've understood its total value. Um, and so that's the process that uh, I think uh, we can kind of educate people on. And if we, you know, if people can go do that if they're, if they're willing, because uh, it, again, it does take time and there's a lot of hurdles. Um, if you do that process, you'll find that eating healthy uh, really just becomes just the way you, just the way you eat, just the way you eat. And it's not a, it's not about I can and I can't and restrict and, you know, I have this constant battle with myself. It's just, this is how I eat. And I think, think Sal, that's, that's perfect, man. That, that makes perfect sense. And I think it helps transition people from, you know, fast food processed stuff to, you know, selecting whole foods over processed foods. Because we know generally processed foods, they're built and designed for that hedonistic value for you know, that smack in the face, great feeling, at least momentarily. So I think that transition that intuition to make choices based on kind of health value makes sense. But here's where I'm at. And I'd love to get your perspective whether you think this is quackery, or it's legit. My my kind of my current place I've landed on right now, and I'm, I'm sure it will change is there's I, I'm having to unlearn nutrition. I went the last two years learning everything there is about antioxidants, um, about you know the you know vitamin and mineral content around various foods. Trying to get the most diverse selection of whole foods into my diet. You know, I would have a typical day, or I'd have, be have, I'd be slamming down spinach every day. I'd be having leeks and broccoli most evenings. I used to love it, but the question was, I used to eat the. I, I would, the question for myself was. I used to eat these foods. I used to love it because of exactly what you said, which is I attached value to the leeks, the broccoli, the spinach, and therefore I liked them. But honestly, like hedonistically, like do I like the flavor? Eh, probably not so much. But mm -hmm. the overall package of what that meal was giving me, or at least my perception, was like, you know what? This feels good to eat good. 
but here's the here's the problem i wasn't feeling good i was i was you know bloated and kind of gassy most of the time it, but it was like background nothing overly aggressive just enough to say do you know what i'm gassy i'm a bit bloaty you know my my shit stink like it is what it is right it's just what it's just what happens to everyone and then like through this process i've tried the carnivore diet but it's not pure play kind of i've gone from like gas and bloat to like zero zero gas and bloat like i've not felt that before ever i've gone to the toilet it doesn't smell at all I've, i feel that i'm enriching my body with like the bioavailable nutrients that you get from anim animal foods and then i'm going okay where what plant foods do I want? What plant foods do I actually want versus saying I need them for the vitamin A or the vi vitamin B or the vitamin C? Like, do I actually need those if I have a nose to tail diet? And I sound like a carnivore advocate. I guess I'm, I'm, I'm getting, getting clued up and excited about some of the values of low carb, which kind of lends itself towards more animal nutrition than mm -hmm. plant nutrition. But there, there seems to be a lot of uh, traditional or generational wisdom around food, which isn't necessarily correct. Like, for example, hormesis and antioxidant properties or the pro-oxidant properties of plants, which create an antioxidant response in our body. The question is, do we need them? What about the bioavailability of those foods? Are they actually there? What about the toxic toxicity that comes with those benefits? Is it worth it? And as I'm peeling that away and I'm kind of consuming a lot of information, I'm, I'm getting a sense that actually I can run optimally, feel great on a mostly animal-based diet. I'm not saying I'm going to stay there, Sal. I'm just trying to get your point of view. It's like you kind of eliminated foods. You went on elimination diets. You're selective on what you put in your mouth and what you choose to have for wellness. Do you, do you think it's quackery, this concept that much of human nutrition can come from animal-based foods and perhaps some plant-based foods at the kind of values that we're and volume we're eating today may actually mm -hmm. be detrimental to health well the rule number one is uh listen to your body okay your 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 body has uh it's like a fingerprint it's quite unique um, if you look at your microbiome for example and how your body's processing and digesting food uh, there's similarities uh between us but there's a lot of individual variants. So yep. rule number one is always listen to your body. Now, as far as a carnivore diet is concerned, um, it's been uh, commercialized and there is a lot of, uh, I would say, and, and this, is not, uh, this is not saying people are feeling better on it because again, there's a lot of individual variants, but a lot of the claims that they're making about, uh, you know, foods like, like plants being bad for us and uh, yeah, that a lot of that is bullshit. Now, I think here's what's happening. Um, I think with a lot of people, um, there there is a the internal gut microbiome plays a very very large role in how we digest food. And if you have overgrowths of certain bacteria in certain parts of your body, for example, your small intestinal bowel, if there's a if there's a, a, a an overgrowth of bacteria in there, and you feed that bacteria with the foods that tend to feed that bacteria, which tend to be carbohydrates or plants, you are going to experience bloating, some people constipation, some people uh, diarrhea, uh, because you're feeding bacteria that's already overgrown in a part of your body where it shouldn't be. When you go on a carnivore diet, you essentially starve those bacteria out. Now, a couple of things that happen. One, that bacteria, a large part of it dies because it doesn't have food. 
but some of it actually goes and hibernates um, and it hides. And so you'll see people who go on carnivore diets, reintroduce foods, start to feel okay. And they're like, oh, I solved the problem. And then the, uh, the symptoms come back and they go carnivore and they say, I knew it. Plants are bad for you. You just got to eat carnivore. No, the, 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 the problem was that they weren't able to really treat uh, the, some of these bacterial overgrowths. The other question is what's causing these bacterial overgrowth and this dysbiosis in the first place? Um, and that's a big question. And that's quite individual. And that, that I, I can't answer on a general basis. That would be something to be done on an individual basis. Um, now, here's the thing. Can you eat just or mostly meat for the rest of your life? Of course. Um, uh, it's, it's got all the essential nutrients and macronutrients that your body will need. But the question is, and this always been with nutrition, if you can, doesn't mean you should always. So can you get away with it? Yes. Does that mean that's ideal? Uh, maybe not, probably not. Um, if we look again at the best research that we have on, uh, longevity, we find a wide variety of ways that people eat. I mean, you go to the, the Maasai tribe in Africa and you find uh, people who consume for long periods of time, mostly all uh, dairy and animal uh, protein. Uh, they, they, they raise cattle, they're cattle, uh, you know, uh, farmers or, or, or uh, you know, herders. And all they have is like milk, cow's blood and cow meat, uh, you know, organ meat and all the meat, right? That's all they have for long periods of time. And they live a long time, they're quite healthy. Then you go to other parts of the world and you find like the Seventh-day Adventists uh, who uh, live in Loma Linda, California, some of the longest living people on earth, uh, a, a lot of their nutrition based on the religion, but their diet is uh, vegetarian. Um, Okinawa, uh, very, you know, plant-based um, with fish, you know, Sardinia, uh, people who live a long time. You've got the people live near, near the ocean who eat lots of fish. The people who live in the hills don't even know how to swim and they eat lots of sheep and, and, and plant. I th there's, there's a wide variety of ways that we can eat for optimal health. The, 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 the general truths that we've identified so far are don't overconsume, eat uh, whole natural foods, um, uh, eat uh, foods uh, in a variety that tend to be nutrient dense. Uh, again, the whole natural ones. Um, that, that really seems to be the, the only truths that are universal. Other than that, you know, if it works for you, like, Look, if your body, if you find that no matter what you do, eating plant products give you gas and bloating, again, rule number one is listen to your body. Well, guess what's probably not good for you? Plant products, right? They're probably not good for you. You, you are not going to be, and even if we look at general scientific truths, it all sometimes breaks down when you look at the individual. Again, if you're somebody who eats plant products and you just have, let's say your body developed antibodies to many of these plant products. Maybe for a long time you had uh, leaky gut syndrome where your, your gut is hyperpermeable. And so the foods that you eat leak through the bloodstream. Your body identifies these, you know, what leaks through as foreign invaders creates antibodies. And now when you eat these foods, you have a low-level immune reaction, which is, feels like bloating, inflammation, depression. Uh, you know, stiffness, whatever. Um, well, those foods are no are not good for you, regardless of what the science says. I th I regardless think, of what I the think, we 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 like to uh, not like to. I I don't think we we listen to our bodies enough though, and I think that's something I picked up from you, Sal. Is that there, that seems to be a theme of your 
your message on your podcast is you've got to listen to your body. Eating something because you think it's healthy, but you feel like shit, probably ain't the right choice, right? I was slamming no. down, I was slamming around, slamming down turmeric every morning, five grams of it with black pepper. <laughs> I was having cacao with that. I was having um, spinach every day. I, I was having this certain food I really loved, but I'd feel gassy and bloated. I was saying to myself, but I'm healthy. Like all of these foods I'm eating, all of these are healthy. Like they're, you know, you just Google it. <laughs> and, you know, I pride myself on, you know, consuming a lot of information in this space. And all the roads lead to all of these foods I'm currently having are, are really, really great for you. Yet I wasn't allowing myself to say, but it ain't working. And I think that's, that's the point I'm getting from you loud and clear, which 100%. is you've got to listen to your body. 100%. 100%. You have to listen to your body because sometimes we, or, again, this is wisdom versus knowledge. I have the knowledge, uh, you know, cacao is good for me, turmeric's good for me, spinach is good for me, but I lack the wisdom to say, yeah, but I feel like shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it sounds it sounds so silly, right? But this is uh, this is where people are. This is where everybody gets, where everybody gets stuck. You got to listen to your body. So when I hear someone like you say, hey, I'm eating mostly carnivore, but I feel better than I've ever felt. I've got more energy, less inflammation. My gut health is good. I've got regular bowel movements. Well, guess what? Okay, the way you're eating is probably right now better for you. It may not always be better for you, but right now this, this seems to be better for you, at least in comparison to what you were doing before. Now, I would personally, I would dig a little deeper and find out why these, uh, you know, normally innocuous foods are causing you gut issues, I would figure that out and solve the root of it. Because I think, uh, you know, a, a carnivore diet or a complete elimination diet uh, is, uh, is a way to avoid feeding the root and the symptoms. Um, and it may be a, a temporary solution or cure, but I don't think it's really solve, solving the main issue, which is for some reason, whatever those plants are doing to you, whether it be an immune reaction or it feed a, uh, you know, a, your your microbiome may have some uh, dysbiosis and it's causing issues there. You know, try to figure out the root of it. Now, for some people, what ends up happening is they do these long elimination diets or fasting, which fasting is the ultimate elimination diet. That's you eliminate everything. Um, and they'll go back into slowly reintroducing foods and they feel amazing. And then every once in a while, their gut, health starts to, you know, act up again. Maybe that the microbiome starts to go out of whack again and they haven't really figured out why the hell that keeps happening. And so they use the fasting or the elimination diet as a treatment, which is a great treatment. I do this. If, if my gut is off, I'll do a 48 hour fast, um, and then reintroduce foods. And usually when I do that, I'm, uh, you know, I'm back to, to normal. Um, you can also use, uh, certain herbs to, to treat some of these things. You know, there, there was a, a large study done on, um, SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which I surmise is probably the cause of a, a lot of people's gut issues, if not a majority. Um, and it's hard to, it's hard to, uh, identify and then it's hard to treat. Uh, it's hard to identify because it just presents itself as gut problems. And so you're trying to figure out what the hell's going on. You have to go do specific tests, but, uh, they found in these studies that, uh, the traditional way to treat SIBO was with antibiotics. Well, they compared antibiotics to uh, classic herbal formulas for treating SIBO. And you know what they found? 
the herbal treatments were as or more effective than the antibiotics. So now we have this kind of natural, old, you know, way of treating. And these, these herbs have been around for thousands of years. People have been using them for thousands of years for gut problems. Well, we're finding that they actually do a damn good job of killing off, um, you know, this, this, this bacterial overgrowth that happens in the, in, the, in the small intestines. And people can treat themselves for SIBO safely um, and quite effectively through these, uh, these herbs. So, um, yeah, I would look a little deeper and see, you know, I, we, we had Michaela Peterson on our podcast a while ago, and she's a huge carnivore advocate. And, and I'm not going to deny that she's far healthier eating this way. Here's somebody who had, you know, battled with terrible clinical depression and uh, autoimmune uh, types of arthritis that caused her to, to require two joint replacements. And now she eats carnivore, and I believe she's off of her medications, feels amazing, has no more pain, the, the joint degeneration has stopped. Um, now, I, again, I think there's a route that we should be looking deeper into. I don't even think we have the answers. So I don't think we have the solution to it. Maybe we will at some point. But for her, you know, how the hell are you going to argue that carnivore diet isn't healthy for her? You can't. It's obviously the best diet for her. Uh, yeah, I agree, man. I've, I've heard, obviously, her dad's story as well. And I've had Paul Saladino on. And if you haven't spoken to him, he's, he's definitely worth checking out. Dr. Paul Saladino and as well as Sean Baker, which I know he's kind of making waves at the moment on the carnivore thing. And I completely agree. I, I think the complete avoidance of, you know, plant products is not necessary. But I think maybe what we've fallen into is one dogma that all plant foods are great and therefore get loads of them. And two, immediate, constant worldwide availability of all of these plant foods when actually seasonally you wouldn't have had them for too long you wouldn't have had spinach all year round but when people are knocking out spinach smoothies every morning they're they're kind of loading up their body with some anti-nutrients and through time that can cause them some problems so i'm i'm not saying you know plant-based foods are bad i'm just saying i think we've lent too far into them and i think we're seeing that through some of our health conditions and some of our kind of sen sensitivities and issues, some people yeah. are exacerbated more than others. Yeah, maybe. I don't think they're all correct, created equal, though. You know, like uh, the the crops that we that you're taught that we um, overproduce or rely on are like a few. Yeah. Um, corn, wheat, soy. Uh, those are like the the main you know crops that we tend to to grow. And and if you consume processed foods. Uh, they're going to contain, you know, one of those as their uh, as their main ingredient. Um, but uh, again, humans are we're omnivore we're omnivores and we're opportunists, and so you know, uh, there, I'm sure there were long bouts of humans just consuming plant based foods because that's what was around. I mean, think about it this way, okay? If you're a hunter gatherer and you find some plants to eat um, or fruit or nuts, you're going to eat that. You're not going to say, ah, I don't, I can't eat that because I need no, to eat more. I need to go, I need to go risk my life and hunt this animal. Hunting was quite dangerous, and there's societies that live long periods of time that are plant based. And I'm not making an argument against eating a meat based diet. All I'm saying is uh, that the, the human body can thrive on whole natural foods from a variety of different sources. I honestly think a big problem is we've damaged our guts with the processed foods and chemicals that we consume. Um, and then because of that, we've, we've, because our gut has been damaged, um, uh, plants then become harder to tolerate. 
yeah, it become harder to tolerate for some people. Um, so I think that's kind of what the problem is, but I wouldn't demonize, uh, one food or over another. I would look a little bit more broadly. Cause again, the research shows that you can live a long time and eat, and eat a wide variety of diets with some general truths, which again, like I said, are whole natural foods. Don't overconsume. uh, you know, don't, don't eat, you know, heavily processed foods, um, and, you know, eat nutrient dense type foods and you're probably going to be okay. And then of course, rule number one which I'll, I'll revert back to is listen to your body. If, if it's not working for you, it ain't a good diet for you. It's not healthy. So I have, it's funny. I get messages from people who are like, Oh, I'm eating this. Uh, you know, I've, I've been on keto for four, you know, for, for three months and, um, I, I feel like crap and I'm constipated. Like how long until I start to feel good? And I'm like, yeah, it's not good for you. Get off the diet. It's not working for you. You know? Um, so it's like we forget to, to listen to our own bodies and, and look at the signals that our body's telling us. Uh, I hear you, man. I think I think the idea of everything in moderation, though, is a bit of a misdirection. I think, you know, what is moderation? Who defines it? How much for you? How much for this this location? Right. Uh, and how much turmeric turmeric should I have in moderation? Was I having too much? Was I having spinach? No, you know, 100 grams worth of frozen spinach every day. Was that too much? I don't think we understand what too much is, whether it be at, at an individual level or generically. And I think with this obsession for healthiness, and you know, I put myself in that camp. So I've, you know, I'm lean. I've been leaning in on like trying to be optimally healthy, and I would just continue to chuck in more and more things into my diet because there's a purported health benefit. I may have been overburdening my body with things that totally. I, I I didn't need to have every day, but you know I think I think that's I'm not alone in that, and I just wanted to kind of give you this last anecdote. I said to you just before um, uh, we we started this call, I was I was almost going to cancel this today. So I've been on this carnivore diet, or as I say, kind of meat dominant diet. Been feeling really great after the first couple of weeks of adapting, uh, and all of a sudden, last couple of weeks, I've just been slammed to the floor. My my hands are peeling. I've had incredible sensitivity in my fingertips. I've had a cold and a sore throat, which I've never had for the last two years. I've basically had chronic um, stomach aches literally in the last day or so. Um, uh, you know, the need to go to the toilet, low HRV, feeling tired, just generally not in a, being in a good place, achy joints, migraine-like headaches, just a lot mm. of shit going on the last couple of weeks. And what I don't want to do is I don't want to be dogmatic and a zealot and say, but the diet's great, therefore stick with it. But at the same time, and this is where this is where it gets really fringe. Um, some people going through this transition argue that there are things called oxalates in your body. And oxalates apparently are kind of shard-like crystals that uh, are produced through most plants. Some have more than others. Spinach, for example, has tons. And it's a toxin. Uh, it can't be detoxified by the liver. It can only be excreted. In its, in its pure form. It can be mineralized and calcified into joints and tissues anywhere throughout the body. So if your body is overburdened with oxalates, it will effectively store it throughout the body because it can't get rid of enough. And then mm -hmm. as soon as you start eliminating um, oxalate-rich foods, you start, it's called oxalate dumping, apparently. And there's some, there's some people like Sally Norton, uh, Susan Owens, um, and a guy called Elliot Overton, I believe, who have kind of specialized in this niche kind of fringe aspect of health. And they're saying, hey, look, once you eliminate high oxalate foods, you're going you're to come crashing down because of the kind of release of the built up toxins. Again, is that true? Is it not? 
Am I responding to the diet? Am I responding to the elimination of certain foods? I don't know. But your point, I think, is completely bang on, which you've got to listen to your body. Right now, I, I don't know what to do. But I mean, have you ever felt things like that, Sal, like in your yeah. in your process of kind of healing that you've had some funky things happen before you got better? Yeah, um, those are a bit, uh, you know, I'm now here's the thing I want to, you know, be clear, I'm not a, a doctor, an expert on this. But I will say this, that oftentimes, um, especially in regards to diets, uh, there's a there's a dogma that surrounds them. And they'll explain away uh, why people may feel bad with, um, you know, explanations that, you know, there may be some truth in them, but oftentimes it's not like, Okay, here's the deal. What you're hearing right now about the carnivore diet, like, hey, stick with it. Your body's just getting rid of, getting rid of in this case, oxalates or whatever. Uh, sounds uh, like veganism, know. huh? It sounds like all of them. <laughs> your body's getting rid of toxins. Oh, it's just, you're releasing toxins. Don't worry about it. It's die off. You know, don't worry about it or whatever. How long have you been doing this diet? Uh, it's, it hasn't been that long. It's been about five weeks or so. As I say, I am having plant food. I've just, I've increased animal products. I've reduced much of my plant product down to minimal amounts and yeah i'm just starting to feel a bit funky mm. now so uh, hey, i, I tried, agree it might be dogmatic it might just be have you are, are you taking on. a multivitamin yeah i'm I'm taking multivitamins probiotics still uh, i'm looking after okay. myself i was all, always healthy i prided myself sound on being healthy and, and i still feel healthy but this episode of the last couple of weeks is like huh what's going on yeah. is it is it the carnivore diet not built for me or is there something going on which is a transition to a healthier place? I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I would look at would be a, a nutrient deficiency. Um, uh, so I don't know what the quality of your, uh, you know, or, or the, of the multivitamin you're taking. But the first thing I would look at is it's, it would be, am I having a nutrient deficiency? Um, so examine if, if, if that may be the case. You could supplement with, uh, you could try eating uh, a piece of a citrus fruit and see if that changes. How you feel? I the first thing I would do is I would look at my diet and say, okay, this this may be affecting me negatively. My body's talking to me. Um, uh, you don't what you don't want to do is get into a point where it, the signals get so loud that you know later on you're like, holy shit, why wasn't I listening to my body? Obviously, I was having all these signs that something was off. So I would uh, I, I, the first place I would look would be diet. I don't know about this whole detoxing effect that happens where you feel worse. I know I've heard this about um, fasting as well, but then again, you know, you just don't have, you're not eating any food. Mm -hmm. So that's probably why when people fast for a long period of time, they start to feel, uh, you know, a bit crummy. So I'm not quite sure, but the first place I would look because of all the things that you've changed in your life from what I know of you right now, and I don't know, there may be other things, but of all the things that you've changed radically, in other words, dramatically from where you were before, is your diet. So that would be the first place that I would look in, in terms of, you know, why I'm feeling uh, the way I'm feeling um, and see if you can, you know, maybe remedy it from there. Um, the As far as like the achy joints, uh, the migraine, and then the, the skin in the fingertips, that might be a little alarming. You could be having some nervous system differences or I don't know. I would look at that for sure and look at the diet and see if it's the the diet that that's causing it. It's not some virus or something oh, it's, like that. It's, it's, definitely, it's definitely the diet. The question is, is the diet wrong is it deficient or is it a process? And and again, I'm, I'm not trying to be a quack or suggest it is a process, sure. but I don't know. And and again, I'm not suggesting your Dr. Sal. Just wondered wondered your your <laughs> point of view because I know you've uh, you've 
walked this path to some degree, man. So I, I appreciate it back what, and forth, man. What kind of plant are you are you still having? Um, so I'm mushrooms, rice, okay. a little bit of sweet potato, some normal potato. Um, they're probably the most, that's probably most of it, right? I've cut out the leeks, the broccoli, uh, the spinach, sure. all that kind of stuff. I wasn't having tons. I was having, I'm still having a bit of salad as well. I've not gone right. over the top. I'm still having cabbage. I'm, I'm not carnivore. Okay. But what I, what I have done is I've taken away foods, which are quote unquote, oxalate rich foods. And potentially this is, this is a process that I'm going through where the body's just releasing something it can get rid of before i sound like a freak i sound like a weirdo saying that <laughs> and and i know i know i sound like a freak saying it but um when you when you when you're suffering with symptoms you're like well everything else is bang on like i know i'm getting enough yeah, nutrients exactly. like i'm eating nose to tail i'm eating great food you know getting a lot of fat a lot of protein i am getting carbs you know it seems relatively balanced you know the nutrient profile looks pretty bang on yet something's going wrong and yeah you know, i would i would I would seek out um, a somebody who specializes in functional medicine because, again, it could be a, it could be a variety of different things, and it's it, it would be it would have to be they would have to look at you the individual. Um, I mean, if you go online, you'll find lots of different answers, but um, it's it's not going to be any of it's going to be re specifically relevant to you and your body. So, I, you know, and you could you could find um, you know functional medicine practitioners online. Who can uh, who can probably work with you through the internet and just help you kind of identify maybe what's going on? Yeah, no, cool, man. Listen, I'm going to wrap this up now, and I appreciate the back and forth, and hopefully it wasn't uh, overly tedious for you, but I, I no, found no, it interesting, man. Um, the last question I got for you, um, Sal, was um, I know you're a dad. I'm a dad too. I've got two two young girls, um, and I often think about the uncertainty of the future in terms of you know this this quote unquote growing useless class this idea and it's in homo deus this idea that technology is really going to continue to constrain what our kids can do and earn a living in in the next 15 20 years and we need to think forward about how we give them skills lessons mm -hmm. capabilities i'd love to hear what's on your mind as you think about your kids and setting them up for you know the 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 most successful enjoyable life possible you know navigating mental health issues that we know are continuing to kind of grow in our culture today what are your priorities and your duties that you're kind of working on to give your kids the best chance in what is an increasingly uncertain world well um i think some of the old uh the same old rules still apply even today i think um in studies will support this um, but i also believe this to be true that a, an environment with lots of structure, um, appropriate discipline, and lots of love is the best environment for a child to grow up in. And studies will support this where, you know, when, 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 when children have clear structure and rules that are enforced, uh, where you don't bend on certain things so that they know that there's a certain level of discipline, but also they always, always, always know that they're loved both through, you know, verbal, um, you know, affirmations, but also through, you know, kissing them and hugging them and letting them know that I'm there and supporting them. The big challenge I see for this generation of children um, has to, it revolves around uh, technology. I think uh, developing digital practices and digital wellness is, uh, is imperative. Absolutely. Just like when I was a kid, processed foods really became 
massive. And those of us that are, you know, who had parents who helped us develop practices around consuming food are better off than, than those of us who had parents who just let us eat whatever we yeah. wanted with no practices. I think the tr- same is going to be true for, for the use of electronics. So you have some families whose kids just have, uh, you know, just free access to their iPads or phones or YouTube, uh, you know, or video games. And then you have parents who are put structure and limits and teach their children uh, you know, digital practices uh, for, for better wellness. That, I think, is going to be the big one uh, for the future. I think uh, the future is, it, it just, it, it's already like this now. Like, it's very tempting to be com- constantly distracted uh, by our electronics. Um, and you have to develop practices around it. Otherwise, you're going to be consumed. Um, we're seeing a, a, a spike in depression among the youth that, we nev- that we've never seen since we've, re- since we've been recording this. Uh, a dramatic spike in depression and suicides now are following. And yet these kids have more stuff yeah. uh, than, than ever before. And I think it has to do with the fact that they're just constantly on these electronics, constantly distracted, never allowed to be bored, never allowed to use their imagination, constantly on social media, uh, comparing, subconsciously comparing themselves to the highlight reel of other people on social media giving themselves you know, body image issues and feeling like they're inadequate uh, as a result. Um, I think this is the problem. I think that's the main problem. And so for me, aside from the classical structure, discipline, love, it's also I play very cl- close attention to the digital practices and making sure that the kids learn how to use them appropriately um, with structure that I'm enforcing now, but eventually I think will become a part of their own practice. So that's the consumer side of, of consuming digital. What about the producer side? I mean, do you see uh, a necessity to ensure that your kids have the ability to control and produce technology? I mean, do you see that uh, an, an inevitable part of any career that they follow? Or do you think that, that we've still got quite a long road of you know, traditional jobs that don't necessarily lean in on technology? Oh, no. I mean, the, 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 the job market's always changed. Uh, especially with, with uh, you know, open and free societies. I mean, you know, name, name one job that exists today that existed 150 years ago. You, you'd be hard-pressed to find. Um, so it's, it's, it's always changed quickly, but it just changes even faster now. Um, I think, uh, no, I, I'm not, I don't eliminate electronics from my kids. Um, I just help them develop practices around the healthy use of them. Um, using them for their value. You know, look at like anything that's like any powerful tool that we've invented, there's always two sides to every powerful tool. I mean, the, the first human that discovered fire, you know, at, at simultaneously discovered something amazing that could mm-hmm. cook food and warm you up and, and, and keep predators away, but also discovered something very dangerous that could kill you um, and has been used in warfare. Great analogy. Um, you know, ever since. So it's just, you just have to learn practices around this stuff. So no, I, I, my kids definitely encourage them to uh, utilize technology for its value, know how to use it, uh, be up to date with it. Um, to be quite honest, I don't even think I could prevent them from doing that. They're, you know, they're, <laughs> they're, their generation is like, they're, they're, they're on it. Um, but it's just about developing those practices around their use and learning how to use them appropriately. Yeah, man. Cool. Well, that's great advice. I, lo- I love the bit of man, the structure. 
Listen, man, it has been it has been fantastic. Thank you for your gracious time and exploring a few topics with me today, Sal. Um, I I'm going to link to Mind Pump, the podcast, the website. That's going to be pretty straightforward. Uh, plus all your social handles. Maybe you can tell the guys if there's any upcoming events or any any other way in which they can interact with your business outside of those. Yeah, we we try to provide as much free information as possible. Um, uh, so if you go to mindpumpfree.com, you'll find a, a number of guides that are absolutely free, uh, ranging from you know how to get leaner, to build more muscle, to get a better squat, to how to become a better personal trainer. So you get a bunch of free guides there. They're they're totally free. Check them all out. Um, and then you can look at our YouTube channel where we provide. Uh, lots of free exercise demos and information on technique, nutrition, you name it. Uh, the YouTube channel is Mind Pump TV. Cool. Good stuff. And have you got any, uh, you're doing events at the moment, like face-to-face live events. I think that's mostly yeah. through the US. Is there any more of those kind of lined up over the course of the next few months? Uh, you can see our current, you know, which ones are available right now uh, at mindpumplive.com. We're going to be in San Francisco, Denver, and Seattle. Um, I think next year we're going to try to make a visit, uh, as they say, over the pond, Do uh, it. maybe to the UK. Yeah, so. Oh, that'd be awesome, man. And uh, just in closing, my podcast host, Bryn, has signed up to your Joe DeFranco certification in San Jose in November. Oh, rad. Sounds awesome, awesome. man. Awesome. Make sure he comes and says hi to me. Uh, I'll make sure he will. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, man, thank you so much for your time. Loved it, as always. And uh, let's keep in touch, man. Thank you. If you enjoy this show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps. And of course, recommend us to any friends or family who you think might also enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. This is Adapt Nation.